early April this past year, April the 9th to be exact, 42 degrees, overcast, and raining in Michigan. But I am wearing flip-flops and shorts and reading a book in sunny 75-degree weather because I was smart enough to drive my family down to Gulf Shores, Alabama for spring break. And it's like the fourth day on a six-day vacation, and I finally gotten to that point where I'm no longer thinking about the things that I should have done or need to do. I'm literally doing nothing and loving it. Kind of reading, kind of napping, kind of just enjoying the sun. I am relaxed. Now, it usually takes me a few days to get there when I go on vacation. But there's something that happens, usually around day three, day four, where I don't need to do anything, be anywhere. I'm just relaxed. I have a place uh, here in Michigan that I love to go, that I experience the same thing. It's called the Hermitage. It's down in Three Rivers, about an hour south of here. It's a silent retreat center. Normally on vacation, it takes me a couple days. When I get down to the Hermitage, literally within a couple of hours, I don't need to do anything. I'm just there to relax with Jesus, to be in his presence. And all the worries tend to fall away, and if I feel like going for a walk with Jesus, I go for a walk with Jesus. If I feel like taking a nap, Jesus says goodnight, and I take a nap. And if I want to read some scripture or spend some time listening to him, prayer, when I'm there, I'm relaxed. Where do you go when you want to relax, when you need to relax? Uh, what, what's that place for you? Uh, maybe for you, uh, your home life wasn't, wasn't very relaxing growing up. And so whenever you got a chance to go to grandma's house, or, or maybe it was just a friend in the neighborhood, when you got to go to their house, it was just something about it that uh, maybe it was a place in the summer that you went every year, that when you got there, it was just, what was that place? Go ahead and turn to the person next to you and just share. What was that What's the place you go or that you used to go or that you'd like to go where when you get there, you just relax? All right, I'd like you to hang on to that idea. We're going to come back to that uh, a little bit later. Uh, Last week, we kicked off our Advent series that we've entitled A Thrill of Hope. And uh, you can see on the thing, it says like hope or hype, right? We live in a season uh, where, quite honestly, there's a whole lot of hype going on. All kinds of commercials telling you if you get this thing, if you get that car, it's like one of the few times in life that you're allowed to apparently buy your spouse like $100,000 something without telling them, I guess. Like, I bought you a $100,000 car. My wife would kill me. (laughs) Hype or hope? What is this season? for you. Uh, Last week, we started off our series by uh, looking at a prophecy um, that Jesus 
hype man reshared in all four of the Gospels. In all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are just narratives that were written about Jesus' life from four different people that gave a kind of uh, four different perspectives, if you will, on his teaching, the things that he did, his miracles, the way that he lived his life, and ultimately his death and resurrection. All four of the Gospels actually share and start with John the Baptist singing this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40 over us. Maybe not singing, maybe more shouting. Maybe it's like scream rock, I don't know. But John the Baptist is uh, uh, saying that there's something that we're supposed to do, a way that we're supposed to welcome the king. It's telling us who's coming and what we need to do to welcome him. I want to give a quick recap because last week was part one of a two-part message. So last week we started it. Uh, This week is part two. And so what I'd like to do is uh, reread a portion of our text that we read last week. Luke chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 2 and read down to verse 6. You're welcome to read along with me in your Bible or on your phone, or it'll be up on the screen. It says in verse 2, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the Baptist, son of Zechariah, who was a priest, in the wilderness which is where John hung out and did most of his ministry. It's a pretty barren area, not a place you would want to like go and hang out, not the kind of place you're like, ooh, we should go there for vacation. No, and yet people flocked to come and find John the Baptist, this prophet in the wilderness. Keep going. Verse 3, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in or raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. Last week I shared with us that this is an announcement that Isaiah makes. God comes to Isaiah while Israel is uh, not in the promised land at this point. Uh, They've been exiled. And God comes and says, look, I keep sending you people to rescue you. And you listen for a little bit, and then you just like turn away from me again. And finally, God says to Isaiah, I'm no longer going to send a person. I'm going to send myself. I'm coming to rescue you. And so there is this prophecy that that Isaiah says, which is, yo, the king is coming. We need to make a way. We need to make a highway for the king. Now, uh, you got to remember back in uh, ancient times, there were no roads the way that we think of roads, okay? You had pathways that people would walk on to get from place to place. And the more they walked on, the more it kind of get, you know, knocked down and eventually would become bare and then you'd like start bringing carts over it and you'd get ruts in it. And, but back then, nobody had the uh, wealth, the manpower to be able to make a straight road. Like you come up to a boulder, well, you just, you don't move, you walk around the boulder, you get a curvy road. You find a ditch, you don't fill in the ditch, you just figure out the best way to get down it and get back up it. You come to a hill, you don't think, hey, I'm just going to level this hill, it's in my way. No, you're like, no, I kind of walk up the hill this way and that way and I get to the top and do the same thing getting back down. But a king 
a king and all that he would bring with him could not take those same roads. So what a king would do, a king with real power, with real wealth, would send out heralds ahead of time, along with engineers and people that could go and actually make the roads straight and smooth. This didn't happen often, but it absolutely happened in ancient times. We have uh, lots of uh, records of kings doing this. And what they would do is they would come to the city that the king needed to go through, the village or town or whatever, and they would say, hey, uh, we're going to need to uh, make this straight and smooth. Now, if you were the town, you'd be thrilled. What an amazing bus! The king's actually going to come through your town. So if it meant that your curvy little road with like some houses, like some stuff was going to get bulldozed, some stuff was going to get knocked down, some stuff was going to get filled in, like it was going to be some work, but it was absolutely worth it. Why? Because what the king was going to leave you was going to be way better than what you had before. And it was such an honor to host the king as he came through. John, quoting Isaiah, says, hey, king's coming. Not just any old king, the king of kings, Yahweh, God's personal name. God himself is coming. And so we need to make the roads straight. Now, John's not talking about a physical road, okay? There's no like road somewhere in Israel or that you're like, oh, we're going to, this is the, he's not talking about a physical, he's talking about a metaphorical road the road in our heart, if we're going to experience the presence of the king, we're going to have to do some work. And we know that he's talking about the king of kings because he's not just talking about filling in a ditch. He's talking about raising up valleys, entire valleys, grand canyons. He's talking about lowering mountains, not just a little hill, but entire mountains need to come down. And he says that those are the things that live within our hearts. And so that's what we talked about last week. It's kind of the gospel message in a nutshell. Mountains have to come down. Valleys will be raised up. Mountains come down when you understand that you are more wicked than you ever dared believe. And valleys are raised up when you understand you are more loved and accepted than you could ever dare hope. Uh, Last week, In part one, we talked about the mountains that need to come down. Uh, John talked about repentance. And whenever I thought of repentance, I usually thought, well, it was like something I was supposed to change my behavior, right? And we learned last week, repentance is not a change of behavior. Repentance is a change of heart. A change of heart that results in a change of behavior. And, And we were reminded that We have to allow God to be God, that he's the one who gets to decide what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's not good, how I'm supposed to live my life, what I'm supposed to pursue and what I'm not supposed to pursue. I don't get to play God. I have to allow him to be God, which means that I've got to take myself off the throne of my own heart. I've got to stop trying to figure out how to make it all happen myself. And I've got to give permission for God to come in and take residence in my own heart to step onto the throne. It's repentance. It's a lowering. And when we repent, when it really is coming from our heart, we see it in reliance, right? 
Those are the two things we talked about. You aren't treating Jesus as king unless you learn to rely on Jesus. You can't do it yourself. You need him to do it. And you aren't treating Jesus as king unless you learn to obey Jesus. Tim Keller said, when God comes, he doesn't conform to our roads, we conform to his. And I get that that's like the not super fun part. I told you all that last week. Humility, taking myself off the throne of my own life, figuring out that I'm the one that can't do it, but I need another one to come in and do it for me. Like, that's humbling, man. We don't like that, especially uh, we humans. Every single culture in the world has always fought against God, tried to remake God in their image, right? The things that they like. Some cultures don't like how God forgives. Other cultures don't like uh, how God judges. Uh, Some cultures just don't like some of the things that God says. But if we're actually going to experience the arrival of the king in our own life, there's some mountains that we have to come down. We talked about some of that hard stuff last week. This week, we get to talk about when the valleys get raised up. When the valleys get raised up. There's two things that we're going to look at, just like we looked at two things last week. Right? We need to rely and we need to obey. This week, when you treat Jesus as king, you learn to relax in Jesus. You learn to relax in Jesus. Let me explain what I mean. If we were to keep looking at the text that we just read in Luke chapter 3, at the very end it says, uh, verse 6, and all people will see God's salvation. Who was coming to get baptized by John in the wilderness? Do you remember? The text says crowds, okay? Everybody was coming out there. Uh, Some specific people uh, that are actually mentioned. Verse 12, the tax collectors, okay? Uh, In verse 14, we've got Gentiles, uh, soldiers, Roman soldiers. In uh, chapter 3, verse 7 of Matthew, Matthew tells us that Pharisees and Sadducees, so the religious elite, are coming out. It's like everybody, okay? You got the the people that are looked up to the most, the religious leaders. You got people that are looked down on the most, tax collectors, right? You've got Jews and you've got non-Jews, which are called Gentiles. That's like everybody that's not Jewish, all right? You've got rich people. You've got poor people. You've got the powerful and you've got the weak. You've got the religious and the desperate ones who think they got it together and ones that know they don't got it. Who's coming out? Everybody's coming out. And that makes sense based on what the Bible teaches about us. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, uh, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. All have sinned. That's what scripture teaches. You, 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 definitely you. You, I'm just kidding. All of us, every single one, myself included, every single one of us have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. Now, we keep reading in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and it says this. And the wages of sin is death. Everybody sinned? The payment for sin is death. Woo, this is a very, very like, y'all are feeling really encouraged this morning, aren't you? Like, oh, this is, I'm a sinner and I deserve death. That's what the Bible teaches. So relax. 
Bible teaches we're all in the same boat, every single one. The rich, the poor, the weak, the powerful, the religious, the non-religious, the most esteemed, the least esteemed, every single one of us is a sinner and deserves death. So relax, we're all in the same boat and it's sinking and we're all screwed. Relax, you can't fix it. Relax, you don't need to keep trying so hard. Relax, you can't control it or stop it anyway. Relax. (laughs) You're like, how the heck am I supposed to relax, man? You just told me that I'm stuck in a boat, taking on water. Everybody's going down. Nothing I can do about it. Can't control it. What's going on? How am I supposed to relax? Well, you got to keep reading the end of Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Because he doesn't just say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, 3.23. And that the wages of sin is death, 6.23. But he goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can relax because you can't fix yourself anyway. You can relax because it's not about how hard you try. You can relax because it's never been about how good you can be. Your good deeds can't ever outweigh your bad deeds. That's not even a thing anyway. Relax, you're not perfect. Nobody is. You can't do it yourself. But a savior has come. A gift has been given. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is say yes. Now, if we say yes, what do we get? See what it says there? The gift of God is what? Eternal life. Uh, Jesus actually says it this way. Uh, He's come to give life and life to the full. I ain't trying to mess anybody up, but I want y'all to understand how the biblical writers uh, talked about these words, eternal life, what they meant, okay? Uh, The word eternal life is not really talking about something that's going to happen someday in the future. Way too often when I hear eternal life, I think, oh, that's what happens when I get to heaven. That's not at all how the biblical writers understood that term. When they talk about eternal life, they're not talking about something that will happen one day, they're talking about something that actually happens now. It begins now. Not only that, but they're really not talking about the quantity of life. Way too often, I think when I read that, like, oh, eternal life, they're talking about like just how long I'm going to live. That's actually not at all what the biblical writers had in mind. They were not talking about quantity of life. They were talking about quality of life. The gift of God is amazing, full, unbelievable life that starts now and continues into the future the future of this life and the life to come. It's available, and you can't earn it. You can't work for it. You just have to accept it as a gift. You get to relax. This is actually what David describes in Psalm chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Why? Because God's my caretaker. He's the one looking out for me. I'm his. And he's got everything. So if I'm his and he's got everything, I got everything. And he goes on to say, 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Did you know that a sheep cannot lay down unless a few things have happened for it? Number one, the sheep has to feel safe. Sheep do not have much uh, of an offensive weapon if they have to fight somebody. You know what I'm saying? You ever seen a sheep just like go rogue and like try to take out a wolf? No, it doesn't happen, all right? (laughs) Sheep are completely prey. Sheep can't lay down if they don't feel safe. A sheep won't lie down if there is drama within the herd. They have to feel like things are cool. A sheep won't lie down if they're hungry. A sheep won't lie down unless they believe that everything has been taken care of for them. But when they do, when a sheep feels safe, when a sheep has all of its needs met, when a sheep is free from the pests of flies that bug it, it will lay down. David's like, yo, if God is your shepherd, there's nothing that you lack. You will always have what you need. may not be the time that you think you need it, but God knows not just your present, he knows your past, and he knows your future. God will take care of you. Jesus basically said the same thing himself, Luke chapter 12. I want you to flip over. There's just a couple of pages down from Luke 3. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching, and uh, Jesus says this, verse 22 to 26. Then Jesus says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't plant stuff. They don't harvest stuff. They don't have storerooms or barns. They don't have anywhere to store. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, adding an hour, why do you worry about the rest? You can't even add one hour. Why are you worrying about all the other hours? I love what he says at the end of verse 24. Aren't you more valuable than birds? You don't have to worry. You can relax. God knows what you need. God sees you. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. Everything you need has been taken care of if God is your shepherd. When you treat Jesus as king, you get to relax. Uh, Psalm 46.10, uh, it's a pretty famous verse. It says, be still and know that I am God. You ever heard that before? Be still and know that I am God. Peter Craigie, he's a New Testament uh, scholar. Uh, he likes to translate it this way. Relax and know that I am God. When you allow Jesus to be king in your life, friends, you get to Relax. Those who accept God's arrival get to relax. I was thinking about um, the places I go and when I kind of relax and things like that. And as I was processing it, I, I, kind, of, uh, I kind of realized that there's probably one place that I've probably experienced this the, the, the absolute best. Um, it was the first Christmas break that I came back home from college. And I remember what it felt like when I walked 
in the front door of my house. My, my family wasn't perfect, but I had a, a good family. And I remember walking in that first time back for Christmas break, and the finals had just ended, and the need to perform and to, to work hard. And, and, and I came back into my house, and I was just able to be me. And I knew I was loved and accepted with all my strengths and all my weaknesses, all my wins and all my losses. They loved me for me. I didn't have to put on airs. I didn't have to act a certain way. Not only that, but I knew everything was taken care of. There were gifts under the tree for me. It was food in the pantry that I was going to be able to eat and feast on. I didn't have to think about any of it. It was all taken care of. And I just remember feeling so relaxed. I'm home. I'm loved. Now, it didn't mean that my parents didn't hope that I still grew up, that I still didn't have some room to be transformed a little bit. If I acted the same as I did of my 18-year-old self today, uh, my parents probably wouldn't be super happy with that. But they loved and accepted me in that space, in that moment. It wasn't about my performance. It was just because of who I was. Relaxed. When we allow Jesus to be king in our life, friends, we get to relax. So I want you to take a second and just simply ask yourself this question. Are you relaxed in Jesus? When we treat Jesus as king... We get to relax in Jesus. The second thing that we get to do is when you treat Jesus as king, you learn to expect from Jesus. Expect from Jesus. Uh, we just finished up a series in the book of James. Remember that a few weeks ago? In James chapter four, uh, James says that God opposes the proud. Those are the folks that think that they can earn it themselves, that they can work hard enough, that they're good enough, that they deserve something. Uh, James says, no, God opposes the proud. And then a little bit later in James 4, it says that not only does God oppose the proud, but he actually lifts up the humble. He lifts up the humble. That when we humble ourselves before God, recognizing that we can't do it ourselves, God then lifts us up. What do you expect from God? What do you expect from Jesus? Romans chapter 8. I'm going to ask you to flip over there. Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 28. I'm going to read this passage to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. All right? God can take the crappy things, the awesome things, the, uh, the, the, the bad things, the good. He can take all those things, and he can use them, if we allow them, for the good. Now, you have to know what the good is. Okay, we'll keep reading. For the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the good, to become like Jesus. God can take good stuff, bad stuff, hard stuff, unfair stuff, and if we allow him, he can use it to make us more like Jesus. Let's keep reading. That he might, Jesus, be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, you and I. And those he predestined, past tense, he also called, past tense. Those he called, past tense, he also justified, past tense. Those he justified, past tense, he also glorified, Past tense. Do you know when glorification happens? When you kick the bucket. When you die. That's when glorification happens. 
And yet Paul says God sees us in past tense as already glorified, already exactly what we're supposed to be. He has declared us as such. He sees us as such. Why? Because God lives outside of time. Am I glorified? Heck no. But in God's eyes, he sees me as what I will be one day. Keep reading. What then shall we say in response to these things? What are we going to say in response to what God has declared about us? If God is for us, who the heck can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He's like, yo, if God wouldn't even hold back from you his own son, gave his own son for you, don't you think he'll give you anything that you need? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Look down at verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, no one. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you ask, do you expect enough from Jesus? I don't know if it's a true story or not. There's a story about Alexander the Great, uh, one of the most powerful men, um, humanly speaking, to ever walk the face of the earth, ruled uh, basically over the uh, Greek Empire, which eventually became the Roman Empire. And uh, there's a story uh, that Alexander the Great uh, had a general who came to him once and said, "Um, Alexander, uh, I'm getting married. I would like to uh, throw uh, a nice wedding may I have some money from your treasury to throw the wedding? And uh, Alexander uh, loved this general and said, yes, you, you can have some money. Just go to the treasurer uh, and ask him for whatever you need, and, and uh, he will give it to you. So the general goes away, goes and asks the treasurer for an exorbitant amount of money, so much so that the treasurer is just floored, comes running to find Alexander. It says, Alexander, the general came to me and he asked for 10 times what any other wedding has ever cost. And he said that you would give it to him. Do you want me to go arrest him? And Alexander looks at the treasurer and says, are you kidding me? This general does me a great honor for asking for so much because it shows that he believes that I am incredibly wealthy and can afford it and incredibly generous and am willing to give it. What do you think of Jesus? What do you expect from God? Do you think that he would actually give you everything that you need to see his kingdom come on earth in your life, help you? help others find that same kingdom, experience that? Do you think that he would do that for you? C.S. Lewis says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. But like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. 
God is trying to offer you infinite joy, holiday at the sea. And way too many of us are satisfied making mud pies in the slum. We're going to close this morning. Um, I just want to look back at one text from Luke chapter 3. It's in verse 15 and 16. It's going to be up on the screen because I want to read it out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. It says, everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. These are all the people that came out to be baptized by John in the wilderness. And they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptized with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is the season of Advent. Season where we're supposed to be expectantly awaiting the arrival of the king and doing what we need to do in our hearts to prepare the way. Mountains that need to be lowered, valleys that get raised up, and what we do to make those things happen. This is exactly what the people were doing too. You see, they were expecting, waiting for the Messiah. And what does John say to them? He says what? He is coming soon, coming soon. Friends, do you have that same expectation? Do you have that same expectation, desire to see Jesus come soon? That's what the season is about. Preparing myself for how we might want to break into my life in a fresh new way. We look back on his first coming as a little baby at Christmas time, and we look forward to the time that he is going to come again and make all things new, all things right, all sad things come untrue. We live in the in-between time. I hope that we're like right here. Wouldn't it be awesome if like Jesus came back like in the next couple minutes? Oh, baby, I would get there a little bit ahead of y'all because I'm standing up and I'm on the stage. So I'm like, woo, let's go. I don't know if you're going up. I had no idea what's going to happen. But he's coming back. He's coming back. And are we ready? Are we looking forward to it? Are we preparing ourselves? Friends, when you allow Jesus to be king, you will find that you get to relax in him. And friends, when you allow Jesus to be king, you will find that you are intended to expect from Jesus. So we're going to close with uh, two questions I'm just going to let you sit with. Lisa's going to come out, play some funky little nice music underneath y'all. And there's two questions. I just want you to just sit with God about these two questions, all right? Number one. Oh, there we go. Is it possible that you expect not too much but too little from Jesus? And then number two, when you think of Jesus as king, do you find yourself relaxing in that thought or does it bring anxiety? Why or why not? I just want you to sit with Jesus right now and ask those two questions of him. Allow him to speak to your heart. Go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads, and just sit with Jesus. Let him speak to you as he'd like to.
your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, as I was preparing this week, I just felt like God said that there's some folks, a couple of individuals this morning that you heard the message last week and uh, you know that God has not been on the throne of your life. You've never allowed him to. You've never invited him in. You've never said yes for the first time to Jesus. But today you wanna, you wanna make that commitment and say yes to him. You wanna invite him in, allowing him to become your king, your Lord, and experience that kind of ability to relax. It's no longer about how good you are, how hard you're trying, but today you want to say yes. If that's you, I want to pray right now, and you can just kind of pray along with me in your head. Jesus is listening to you right now. He knows your heart. And just say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. God, I need you. Please come in and take over. Forgive me for the sin that I've done. I confess with my mouth that I believe. I want Jesus as my king. I believe in my heart, God, that Jesus not just died, but was raised back to life for me. And today, I give you control. Today, for the first time in my life, I say yes to you. You get all of me. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. If that was you this morning, if you, if you prayed to ask Jesus into your life for the first time, I, I'd like to know so I can pray for you in a minute. Just pop your hand up, just a little half hand up. I can see it. Is there anybody that prayed that this morning? Yep. Anyone else this morning? Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus, maybe since you were young, but for the last, last couple of years, you have been away from him. You have not allowed him to be the king of your life. You kind of threw him off the throne and you've been sitting there. And today is a day that you just say like, Jesus, I, I want to let you back on the throne. You're already a follower of Jesus, but you want to recommit yourself to him today. Fully and thoroughly. If that's you, just talk to him right now. Just say, Jesus, I want you to come back into my life. You get all of me. Take it all. If that's something that the Holy Spirit has been saying to you last week or this week, I want to be able to pray for you as well. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just a little bit, yep, yep, mm-hmm. Yep. Anybody else? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Father God, you, you, you not just see the hands, God, you see the hearts. It's individuals, God, that said yes to you, that they just want you to come in and take over number of folks that said that they want you to, to retake over. Father, that's what this season does to us. 
It's a purposeful time for us to slow down and make sure that we're looking for your arrival, how you want to break into our lives in a fresh new way. And God, for all of us, it means we've got to prepare our hearts. There's some mountains that we've got to lower. We've got to stop trying, God, so that we can rely on you and not ourselves and obey you, let you be God. There's some valleys that get raised up. God, when we submit to you, when we humble ourselves before you, you lift us up and we can relax because you're taking care of it. And we can expect you to move and you to transform. Father, I just am so grateful for those just this morning that said yes to you in a fresh new way. Jesus, for all of us, we want to continue to prepare our hearts. But Jesus, we also know that we have a role to play just like John the Baptist. We're heralds. We are people who go before the king and tell others, hey, the king's coming. And there's some work that maybe you need to do and we get to invite them into that space. So God, let us, let us take that, that role seriously with our friends, with our family, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, that more of them might experience what we've experienced. Oh, how good it is to be able to relax in you, to know that it's not up to me. I can trust you and entrust myself to you. Thank you for being a savior that we can trust. We love you, Jesus. Thanks for loving us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Friends, as, uh, as we head out today, I just wanna say how, uh, how excited I am for what God's up to here, what he's doing in the lives of so many of you. And I can't wait for us to continue this series next week. Um, if you're new to TLC, just outside these doors and to the left, there's this thing called the guest hub. We've got a gift we'd love to be able to give to you and just answer any questions that you might have. Uh, for the rest of you, I hope I uh, see a number of you on Tuesday for the gift wrapping party so we can bless all those teachers and students at Kenosha. And uh, friends, let's go and be the church. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. There is a world outside these doors that is just longing for the peace that he brings. So go in peace. I'll see y'all next Sunday.